8 and 39. If you weren't with us last week, we said we kind of reached a point here in the book of Jeremiah where about the next 10 chapters are one nice long flow. And if time would permit, it'd be great to sit down and do the whole thing at once. It doesn't work out to do that. So we have to break this up a little bit. So just a real quick review. What happened last week was in Jeremiah 37 is the Babylonians came down. They got ready to fight Israel. The Egyptians came up. The Egyptians defeated Babylon. And so Israel thought they were safe. Jeremiah said, this is a false hope. You're putting false hope in Egypt. God is still going to punish you. What happened was, since there was a brief moment of peace, Jeremiah decided to head back to his home area. As he head back to his home area, he was stopped by the military, and they said, you're defecting to Babylon. Jeremiah said, I'm not defecting to Babylon. They had this long debate, and they ended up throwing Jeremiah in the dungeon. And where we left Jeremiah off was right at the end of verse 6. And it says, in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire and the mud. And we talked a lot about last week about dealing with people when they're bringing false accusations against you. We talked about sinking in the mud of life in difficult times. We left off last week with Jeremiah being in the mud. Now, we're going to do the rest of 38, and we're going to do, I think, all of 39 tonight as well. It's not really a verse-by-verse study like we typically do. We're going to focus on this one guy, and this one guy's name is Abedmelech. Now, Abedmelech is only mentioned in the Bible here in Jeremiah 38 and 39. And if you would have come to me before we started our study in Jeremiah, I had read the book of Jeremiah before, but if you would have come up to me and said, Boy, I really like Abedmelech. What I would have said is, oh, I do too. And I would have no idea what you're talking about. And I would have went and looked him up. When you go tell somebody what you learned about, tell them you learned about Abednelech and you'll really impress them with your intelligence. He's just here for a little bit. But this guy's amazing. This guy is absolutely amazing. And he's not the typical hero that you think of in the Bible. He's a eunuch. He's an Ethiopian. But he's the guy that God wanted to use. And I love it because his name means servant of the king. The reason he's called servant of the king is because that's exactly what he was. The king at this time is Zedekiah. So Abedmelech is servant of the king. But it's really kind of a catchy name because he's really not serving Zedekiah. Who's he serving? The king, the Lord. So Abedmelech is the only guy to stand up here and say, this is not right. Jeremiah's in the dungeon. He's in the mud. This is not right. So let's jump right into this and see what happens. Verse 7. Now Abedmelech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs, who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. When the king was sitting at the gate of Benjamin, Abedmelech went out of the king's house and spoke to the king, saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon. And he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Now let's think about this for a second. This Ethiopian eunuch now goes to the king of Israel... And says, this is what you need to do. That takes a lot of boldness to do that. And that's that word I kept thinking of. This guy is bold. He's not afraid to go to the king. Now before you think that they may have had some close, tight, knit relationship. I don't think you could find that anywhere in the Bible. Zedekiah is not a king for a real long time. We studied last week how Zedekiah is a very, very weak man. 
you know, this guy is a servant. That's all he is. He's an Ethiopian. I'm assuming that maybe he was some type of slave. He may have been some type of prisoner at one time. He's a eunuch, which means that they were not respecting him as a man in any way whatsoever. This guy had no right, no privilege, no nothing to be, go up to the king and basically say, what you're doing to Jeremiah is wrong. This guy had boldness to go do this. Now, so it made me start thinking about this word bold. This word bold is all over the New Testament, that we're called to be bold in how we act as Christians. And to be quite honest with you, we have lost that boldness as Christians. We're afraid to speak the truth because what people may say. We're afraid to say what's right. We're afraid to speak up on morality. We're afraid to call sin, sin. We need to be bold. Now, before you start thinking bold is just being honest... Bold is speaking truth and speaking truth properly. I know a lot of people are honest, and they're not bold. They're jerks. Just because you're honest doesn't make you bold. Just because you're honest doesn't make you a good guy. I know honest people, and I don't really like them all that much. Because they're not speaking truth in love and by the Spirit. Remember our phrase, we speak truth in love when led by the Spirit. I've seen too many people that their little catchphrase, well, what I'm saying is true. Yeah, what you're saying is true, but you're not saying in love, and it's sure not led by the Spirit. Truth, love, led by the Spirit. This man is bold. Now, the interesting thing about this word bold, when you go to the New Testament, this is the beauty of the Greek language versus our English language. There's three words for bold in the New Testament. And the great thing about the English language is you go read the New Testament, they're all translated bold. They're actually three different words. Let's look at them. First one you see here, the word, first word for bold in the New Testament means confidence. And that means we know the truth. And this is where it's used, Hebrews 13, 6. We may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You are confident. You know the truth. Now think about that for a second as a Christian. Are you confident that you know you're right? I've seen Christians witness well, I think Jesus is the only way. I think there's a heaven and I think there's a hell. And I'm pretty sure if you reject Jesus, you're probably going to go to hell. I'm pretty sure about that. That's not boldness. That's not confidence. I know I'm right. And I'm not being cocky when I say that. I know Jesus is the only way. I know there's a heaven. I know there's a hell. I know the Bible's true. I know these things. And it's not some pride. It's not some arrogance. It's a boldness and confidence. So when you're going through a difficult time, can you confidently say, as Hebrews 13, 6 says, the Lord is my helper. Not, boy, I think God will get me through this. Boy, I'm pretty sure God will give me strength. No, I can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. That's the first use of boldness. Now, the second one means no fear. See, when the Bible also uses the word bold, that means there's no fear. So when I go up to someone to speak truth to them boldly, I also don't go in fear because I know what I'm saying is right and I believe what I'm saying is right. So that way when I get into a discussion with someone who doesn't believe the truth of the Bible, I'm not afraid of how they're going to take my words. I'm not afraid of how they're going to respond. I'm not afraid of being proven wrong. I'm not afraid because I'm bold. Not cocky, not arrogant, but bold. And here's that word used in 2 Corinthians 10 too. But I beg you that when I'm in present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as we walked according to the flesh. See, the context of 2 Corinthians, Paul was writing all these letters. Obviously, we know the epistles. The problem was Paul didn't go visit some of these places. 
So what was happening is Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to the church of Corinth. You know what the response of 1 Corinthians was? The church said, come tell it to our face. Okay, you're hiding behind a pen and a paper. So what is Paul saying here in 2 Corinthians 10? He goes, I'll come tell it to your face. Once again, we look at Paul as this great pillar of the New Testament. And I believe, honestly, he was. I just don't know if you'd want to be friends with Paul if he was coming to church. Paul says, you want me to come tell it to your face? I'll come tell it to your face. I have no fear of that. Because I am confident, I am bold in what I'm saying is right. And it's amazing when you get into a spiritual conversation and you know you're right and you believe you're right. You don't back down. You don't back down. One more word of boldness here. To speak with confidence or insurance. To speak truth. And this is how it's used here in 1 Thessalonians 2. But even after we had suffered before and we were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Once again, three distinct words. All translated in English, bold. That means three different things. When you look in the book of Acts, I believe it's used about nine times. The word bold, it always means speaking with confidence. Once again, you know the truth, you believe the truth, but now you speak the truth. As a Christian, don't be afraid to speak truth when you confidently, boldly know what you're saying is right in the eyes of God. Abedmelech is an example of a man that was bold in what God had called him to do. Carly. If, say again, what was the last part? He said, if we go witness to people, are we not what? If we are not fearless in our witnessing, are we not sinning? If you're letting fear control you, that means you're not letting faith control you, which means you're being disobedient to God. But I think sometimes we confuse fear with nervousness. And I'm not trying to split hairs on words here. There's a time where there's sometimes where I need to get up and go do something as a pastor. I may need to go to a hospital visit or maybe a funeral or something like that. And I do. I'm nervous about that. I'm okay, Lord, I want to present this properly. I want to present this right. Am I walking in fear? I don't think I'm walking in fear. I think I'm walking with the idea of I want to do what's right. Greg Laurie, a pastor I admired much, he says he gets scared every time before he speaks. But he also realizes that that's his human flesh wanting to defeat him. And that's when the Spirit needs to come in and say that I can speak boldly. So to answer your question, if we're walking in fear, well then yeah, we're not walking in faith. And as a Christian, I want to walk in faith saying, I know the truth, I believe the truth, and then I speak the truth. And the truth be told, a lot of times as Christians, I don't think we're confident, we're not bold in what we believe, and knowing it, and then speaking it. It takes all three of those to put together. Anybody else got any quick questions, comments about this before we move on here? So, remember, you speak the truth in love, led by the Spirit. You need all three of those. And then when you're bold, that means you're confident, the first word, no fear, the second word, and then you speak with a boldness. You may be confident that you know the truth. You may have no fear that you believe the truth, but you may struggle with that third one. Pray for strength. You may not have a problem speaking, but as you speak, you realize, I don't really know what I'm talking about. Well, then you need to go work on the first one. Or you may need to work on the second one, saying, boy, I don't want to offend anybody. I hope I don't hurt their feelings. And what happens if they don't like me? 
No, we're bold. Abedmelech had no problems going to the king and saying, what this is doing is wrong. Now, what happened when he said this? Verse 10, Then the king commanded Abedmelech the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you, and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the dungeon before he dies. So Abedmelech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury and took from their old clothes and old rags and let them down by ropes into the dungeon to Jeremiah. Then Abedmelech the Ethiopian said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your arms, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with the ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon. Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. So they therefore lifted him up. And because of doing this, we're going to come back to that point in a second. Because of this, Abedmelech is honored. Now, I don't want to skip over the rest of it, but we've covered this before. What you have from verses 14 through 28 of the rest of this chapter is Zedekiah being weak again. Jeremiah is out of prison, so Zedekiah now for the second time says, Jeremiah, come talk to me. And he says, does you have anything from the Lord? And Jeremiah basically says, yeah, I got something from the Lord, but you're either going to kill me or not want to hear it. Zedekiah says, well, I'll listen this time. So Jeremiah tells him, and Zedekiah says, don't tell anybody we talked. (laughs) Zedekiah is a weak man. What happens then in chapter 39 is Babylon comes back. Egypt didn't defeat them, just like Jeremiah said. Babylon comes back. Babylon defeats. What you see in this weak man once again in Zedekiah in verse 4 is he tried sneaking out in the middle of the night. Which was actually prophesied that he would do that. So they came and took Zedekiah, and you know what happened to him. They took Zedekiah, and before they did this, they took all of his sons and put his sons in front of Zedekiah. Then they killed every single one of his sons, and then they took his eyes out. So Zedekiah, the last thing he saw was all of his children, all of his sons, I should say, being killed in front of him. Then they took his eyes out, and they took him to Babylon. Which, if you remember correctly, Jeremiah prophesied that. He said, you will go to Babylon, but yet you won't see it. Which is a really strange prophecy, but now you realize it. Zedekiah went to Babylon, but he didn't see it. So this weak king, Zedekiah. Now, yes, I feel awful for Zedekiah. But I also realize that we've been talking about Zedekiah for about a month. This guy has had years to repent and confess and change. And Jeremiah kept saying, you don't need to do this. And before we think, well, Zedekiah didn't know. We know that Jeremiah spoke to Zedekiah now at least personally twice to say, Zedekiah, don't do these things. Babylon comes. Babylon defeats Israel. Zedekiah is killed. Zedekiah is then taken to Babylon with his eyes put out. Jeremiah then, in verse 11, is let go. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, gave charge concerning Jeremiah at Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, saying, Take him and look after him and do no harm to him, but do to him just as he says to you. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I kept reading that and reading that and reading that, and I'm saying, Okay, Lord, what am I missing? Why are they being nice to Nebuchadnezzar? So this is what I do. I read, I pray, I read, I pray, I read, I pray. If I can't get it, I start going through some of the commentaries and books I had. I start going through the commentaries and books, and you know what? I don't have an answer for that. only thing I can look at is it's just God's favor. It's just a Joseph thing. Somebody said, well, maybe Nebuchadnezzar heard of these prophecies that that Jeremiah said, that he was telling Israel to um, just surrender and accept God's punishment. You know, we went through a few chapters ago that Jeremiah wrote a letter to Babylon. Maybe that actually got in the king's hand. We don't know. But we know that Nebuchadnezzar let Jeremiah go and showed favor to him which looks like that's a God-ordained thing. And if that's the point, I just want to encourage you. You may be in a spot right now, or you may be the Jeremiah, 
You may have been thrown in the dungeon in the mud. You may have some Zedekiah that is your spouse, your friend, your boss, whatever, and they're treating you awful. Aren't you thankful that there's a God that's above them, that has favor for you, that's watching out for you and looking out for you? Too often we get in this defeatist mentality. My boss is awful. Yeah, but your God is better. You know, we look at this situation, well, this person hates me, this person dislikes me. Yes, that may be true, but your God loves you and cares for you. It looks like God divinely moved here, and Nebuchadnezzar had favor on Jeremiah, got Jeremiah out. And once Jeremiah gets out, look at verse 16. Go and speak to Abedmelech, the Ethiopian, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring my words upon the city for adversity, and not for good, and they shall be performed in that day before you. But I will deliver you in that day, and you shall not be given to the hand of the men of whom you are afraid. For I will surely deliver you, and you shall not fall by the sword, but your life shall be a prize to you, because you have put your trust in me, says the Lord. Well, I love that. And guess what? Abedmelech, he's no longer mentioned. This guy just appears, just a couple chapters in the Bible. His name means servant of the king. That's exactly what he does. He serves the king, Jehovah. He gets Jeremiah out of prison because he spoke boldly to the king, saying this wasn't right. And God honors that boldness by saying, listen, when Babylon comes, you will not be handed over to the enemy, and I will watch out for you. Aren't you thankful that God sees the little things? See, there's so many times in life where we feel like we do something honorable and right and good, and we get done doing this honorable, right, and good thing. We look around saying, okay, who's going to pat me on the back? God saw it. Okay, well, I know God saw it. Yeah, but who's going to pat me on the back? I want my attaboy right now. God saw. And so since God saw what Abedmelech did, God honor Abedmelech. Listen, you may be the only believer at work. You may be putting up with so much junk. No one's patting you on the back for being the only good worker. God sees. You may be the only one working at your marriage. God sees. You may be the only one trying to go deep in your relationship with Christ and your family. God sees those things. You are a servant of the king. He sees that. He honors that. And when push comes to shove, he says, I will take care of you. That's the beauty of Abedmelech, is we see this. So since we know that, look at the last couple points here, and then we're going to finish up with Psalm 40. God says, I will deliver you in that day. Verse 37 of Jeremiah 39. Question comes up, when we fear the Lord, why would we fear man then? Remember, fear the Lord literally means healthy respect. I have a healthy respect for who God is. So when I respect God first in my life, what can man do to me? We just read that in Hebrews 13, 6. And then number 2 in verse 18. Since Abedmelech trusted the Lord, God says, I will take care of you. Abedmelech was honored by trusting in God in a difficult time. And when we trust the Lord, we will not fail. Abedmelech is a great example of trusting God in a difficult time and not giving up and realizing I'm going to do what's right because it's the right thing to do and God honors that and sees that. Now, before we close here with Psalm 40, does anybody have any quick questions, comments about Abedmelech? I don't want to skip over necessarily Babylon coming and defeating Israel and Zedekiah being punished, but we've covered that for the last few chapters. We knew it was coming, and it finally happened here in Jeremiah 38 and 39. Does anybody have any quick questions about uh, Jeremiah here or Abedmelech before we close up in Psalm 40? Okay, head to Psalm 40, if you will, please.
I constantly keep changing what my favorite psalms are. Psalm 40, though, is always in the top five. I'm a big Psalm 40 fan. And it's a great chapter, and if you want something to study tonight, it's only 17 verses, I encourage you to do that. The reason I'm going to Psalm 40, though, is because everything that happened to Jeremiah, David is writing about. Because it happens to all of us. Look at verse 1 of Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock. That phrase there, brought me up, in the Hebrew is the exact same phrase of where they lifted Jeremiah up. It's the exact same Hebrew phrase. And the same thing, miry clay, that's the exact same thing. Jeremiah was literally in the mud, the mire. Now, I doubt you here tonight are literally in the mud, but your life is a mess. The situations you're in are a miry clay mess. You may not be literally physically in it like Jeremiah was, but spiritually, emotionally, your health, your concerns, you're you're in the clay, you're in the mess. Well, guess what? Just like Abedmelech lifted out Jeremiah, God's going to lift you out of the same thing. That's the promise. He will lift you out of the clay. He promises you that. Now, when you're in the middle of the miry clay, you don't believe it. You think you're going to be stuck there forever. Don't go into that defeatist mentality. I don't know what Jeremiah was going through. We know earlier in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah got so discouraged, he told God he quit as a prophet. And God said, you can't. You may quit. You may say, I'm done. I'm never talking to that person again. I've shared Jesus with him. I'm never doing it again. I'm never going to talk to them about spiritual matters because every time I talk to them about spiritual matters, it just goes down south. I'm tired of being the only one working at work. So you know what? I'm going to do the least amount of effort just like everybody else. I'm just going to stay in the mud for the rest of my life. No, you're not. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. You're going to lift yourself out of the clay because why? God will do that. He'll pull you out. The Lord is the one that does it. But you know what? As the Lord does the one pulling you out, we also need a bed to help. And it's not that God needs help. Don't take it that way. The Lord uses us as a body. You may be the one stuck in the clay. The Lord will lift you out. You may not be stuck in the miry clay right now, but you may know somebody who is. You have a biblical responsibility to do what you can to try to help them. Now, please don't take this teaching the wrong way. You can't make somebody do what's right. You can't. But you could lift a, you could throw a rope down to them. If they choose to hang on to the rope, they choose to hang on the rope. That's their choice. A lot of things of what I do as a pastor is just meet with the person, say, I love you, I care about you, this is what the Bible says, I'm concerned about what you're doing is wrong, I hope you make a good choice, and I'm there to support you. But they have to choose to come out of the clay. And that's what the Lord does. Look at verse 1 and 2 one more time. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me. He heard my cry. Now stop. God hears your cry and he responds. Now some of you are thinking, well, he's not responding quick enough. Look at the first verse. I waited patiently for the Lord. Patiently. I remember one time someone coming to me saying that they were praying for a loved one that was not saved. And their heart was completely, utterly broke. And I said, that's tough. I I care. It's hard. And they said, I've been praying forever. I said, how long have you been praying? I said, I've been praying a week. (laughs) That's not waiting patiently. I know some of you here have been praying decades for people. Don't give up. The miry clay may be completely over their head, but don't give up. Waited patiently for the Lord. Look, 
Who does it? He brought me out of a horrible pit. Look at that phrase, horrible pit. Pits aren't fun. Dungeons aren't fun. It's tough. Out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. Remember the second part of what we said about Abedmelech. He trusted the Lord. And so since he trusted the Lord, his life was spared. Verse 3, he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise for our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. You being in the miry clay is actually more of a witness to people than what you could ever imagine. Now, when you're in the miry clay, you're not thinking about, oh, Jesus, thank you. You're not. You're not in any way whatsoever. I've shared this story with you before. Um, I've struggled with kidney stones in my life. And if any of you have ever had a kidney stone before, you know what it is. It's, it's absolutely awful. And I remember the last time I had a kidney stone, which is about a year or maybe a year and a half ago, I lose track. I remember the kidney stone attack hit, and I remember I was lying on my living room floor. And I was dying. I mean, I knew I was dying. So, love you, Dawn. Love you, boys. And I'll see you in heaven. And as I'm dying there, not once did my brain say, oh, Lord, use this. Lord, use this for something mighty. It was, Lord, stop, (laughs) you know, stop. See, sometimes in the middle of the miry clay, I'm not thinking, Lord, how I handle this situation is actually a witness to people. I'm not thinking when at, at work I'm getting screamed at or yelled at or put down. I'm not thinking my patient, loving response is a witness. I'm not thinking as my spouse chews me out or my kids chew me out or my friends chew me out. My patient, loving response is a witness. We're not thinking that way. I'm, but look at this. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Abed-Melech is a wonderful example of a man who was bold to see something wrong, to take a stand for what's right, and he was honored for that. He helped Jeremiah get out of the clay. He was honored by trusting in the Lord. We sometimes are the Abedmeleks. We sometimes are the people that are helping people out of the clay through the Lord. I want to stress that. Sometimes, though, we're also the person in the clay that we need to say, Lord, thank you for sending Abedmelech into my life to help as God does it. A lot to learn here from Abedmelech. Just a guy mentioned just a couple short times in the chapter, but what a blessing he is. Anybody have any final questions, comments here before we close up with a word of prayer? Carly. Yeah, you know, uh, I think what Carly is referring to is you're referring to, um, you know, the salvation of Jerome. And, uh, you know, Carly, uh, you know, I've been prayed for years. And you guys can remember Carly coming out here to church and praying for her husband, Jerome, to come to know the Lord. And as many of you know, Jerome was, ended up being diagnosed with cancer and he passed away. But before he passed away, he ended up accepting Christ. And, you know, that is one of those examples there of being in the clay. God used that and used that. Yeah. She said that there. For those that didn't hear that, he also used it to reach a, a Hindu doctor. I don't know. I'm not up on my... Okay. Yeah. Amen. Amen for what the Lord did. Many will see it and trust in the Lord. Yeah, Ryan. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's you know there is. That's when you look. Yeah, and you know the interesting thing about Ethiopian eunuchs as we get into this conversation here, um, and we're running out of time, but it makes me start thinking of Egypt. And throughout the majority of the Bible, Egypt is the bad guy. But the Bible makes it clear in the end, Egypt gets it and actually gets saved. And I don't know if these Ethiopian eunuchs are a foreshadowing of that there is a righteous remnant that loves the Lord. We have this tendency in our mind to look at, fill in the blank, Muslims. Muslims are awful. They're just awful. Muslims can also come to know Jesus. Oh, no, they can't. Yeah, they can't. Or them. I, I know people have said this before. My neighbor. Oh, my neighbor will never come to know the Lord. Yeah, your neighbor can come to know the Lord. Not my neighbor. You don't know him. Yeah, he can. So I don't know if these Ethiopian eunuchs are a foreshadowing of God's infinite grace on Gentiles and everybody. Because grace is a beautiful thing. Boy, it's a beautiful thing. Anybody else got anything they want to say before we close up? John. Forty-five. What when are you starting that? Uh, in a couple weeks. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, they just saw the books coming. Don, pastor's wife, yeah. and recommends highly, so she can put the plug in there. And uh, Thank you. <laughs> like I said, no segue. For those that didn't hear that, yes. What we do on Sunday mornings is, right now, Richard's teaching Discipleship 1, but also uh, John's going to be starting this study up, and it's, it's really a, a wonderful study on grace. And uh, one of the books they're going to be going through is that Philip Yancey, you know, what's so amazing about grace there. And that's going to be starting up probably in a couple weeks. Listen for the uh, date. If that's something you're interested in, every now and then I have people come up to me and say, hey, we're looking for a little bit more of a Sunday school feel. And I say, you know what? We do these classes every now and then to kind of give that. It's a small group study on Sunday morning. You can come out. You can be blessed by that. You can stick around for the 10 o'clock. And uh, oh, I'll tell you, if you've never studied out grace, grace, oh, grace is beautiful. Grace is beautiful. Anybody else got anything here before we close up? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come to you now. We are thankful. Lord, help us be the Abednelechs. Help us to be the servant of the King, to be bold, to take a stand for truth, to know truth, to speak truth. Lord, help us to see those people in the, in the mud and to offer them the rope of Jesus. And Lord, if there's someone here tonight that is in the mud, I pray that you're uplifting them, encouraging them as they wait patiently on you for the answer and their salvation, Lord, from that difficult time that they're in. And we lift this up in your name. Amen. You guys have a good week and God bless.